0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer podcast. Happy December, everyone. This is episode 50, and this is part two of the Annie Diwani case. I will be finishing up this case today by talking about the motive and the trial of Shrin Diwani, as well as the others in this case. My sources for today's episode are Ani, The Honeymoon Murder on ID, Wikipedia, the dailymaverick.co.za, BBC.com, The Activist Magazine theguardian.com, and thesun.co.uk. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes.
1: It was eight days after Annie's death. When the odd salacious story regarding Shreyan began to surface from South Africa, basically suggesting the motive, and then we started to get the odd call and the odd message The suggestions were that things weren't as they seemed in their relationship, that he wasn't the loving husband that he portrayed himself as.
0: Just a refresher, Ani Diwani was found dead on November 14, 2010, in Cape Town, South Africa. She had been on her honeymoon with her new husband, Shrin. When we last left off, three men had been arrested for their involvement. They all pointed the finger at the true mastermind, Shrin. They said he had approached Zola Tongo, the cab driver, and asked him to help kill Ani. He promised to pay Tongo for his help after shrin was arrested he had to wear an electronic bracelet and had to report to the police station near his house in london nine days after the murder rumors were already swirling about why shrin wanted ani dead one of the biggest rumors had to deal with shrin's sexuality shrin gave an interview to nick parker who was the chief foreign correspondent for the sun shrin brought along his brother Perrin, who said that shrin was not gay an email came in and they're all anonymous but yeah. suggested that um, that Shrian's actually gay
1: I'm just letting you know what we've been told basically and if you want to respond to it you can but if you don't fill them into then I mean Nick can you put this off the record too much yeah. what did he say to you after the tape recorder stopped uh, basically I think Prane uh, took over at that point to an extent and just said all these stories are completely preposterous. This is not true. Uh, Shrin chipped in, um, appearing quite cross, head-shaking, just saying um, it's nonsense.
0: Nick published his article the next day. He then received a call from someone from Shrin's past. This man was named Leopold Leo Leiser. He was 6'2", had a shaved head, was dressed in a suit and tie, and carried a briefcase. And his nickname, you ask? The German Master. And he was a male escort. Leo told Nick that he had a sexual relationship with Shrin and that Shrin had paid him. He told Nick that Shrin was really into sadomasochism. Shrin obviously received word of this and said he'd sue Leo and the son for de- defamation. He denied knowing Leo. Leo told Nick and later said on the stand that Shrin had confessed to him that he was about to marry and that he was unhappy. After the confession, the son called Ani's family.
1: The son called me. I believe it was Nick Parker. I so said, we got to publish something about Shrin. Do you have any comments? I so said, what are you publishing? He says, we're publishing he's gay. Uh, he's been visiting uh, um, fetish uh, prostitutes. And uh, I asked him, are you sure? He says, yes, we got proof.
0: They didn't give two shits if Shrin was gay, but why would he lie and marry Ani? I also want to apologize quickly if you can hear a dog in the background. My neighbor's dog has been constantly barking for the last two days, and it's really irritating. Anyway, many believed that Ani had found out that Shrin was gay, and that's why he planned to have her killed. Others thought that the marriage was a sham because being gay is somewhat frowned upon in Hindu culture. Two months after Ani's murder, Shrin's extradition began. The police and Adrian Mop, the state prosecutor, believed that they had a slam-dunk case. They had evidence and witnesses. On April 7, 2014, Schrin was extradited from the UK back to South Africa. His arrival was obviously not welcomed. Schrin appeared pale and always looked down with a glazed look. He was apparently suffering from PTSD and a depressive state. Schrin's defense team, Francois Vinziel and Peter Botha, said it seemed impossible that Schrin would befriend someone and within a half an hour of arriving into Cape Town planned to kill Ani. I close
1: it. The narrative seemed to you. The improbability of the whole thing struck me immediately. Devon and his wife arrived here on a Friday afternoon. They've never been to Cape Town. Getting a taxi, a person he's never seen, doesn't know and ask him within but more than half an hour to find somebody uh, to kill another person. I, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. That's-
0: another point of focus for the defense was the phone records. The phone records didn't involve Shrin, but the other members who were involved were all in contact with each other.
1: You try and establish what the truth is. What happened? That's your duty. That's your duty to the court. You check the facts. Don't just accept what you're being fed. We correlated the CCTV footage, the cell phone records, and the landlines that we had on the spreadsheet. From the moment that the Devonis arrived at Cape Town that Friday till the Sunday morning, and we plotted every call and on, on a timeline, by the minute, uh, we could show that he was very much involved that evening when this was going down. He was fighting Tonga, he was fighting Kwabe. Contrary to his version, it was very much the kingdom. He was the guy that, the master, that, 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 that evening's
0: they said that while Shrin was on trial, the middleman, Mande Mamul Babo was granted full immunity. He said he didn't know why he did it, but obviously isn't proud that a woman ended up dead. Zola Tonga was sentenced to 18 years in prison. There's a large debate about who the real shooter was. Minjani was the only one who went on trial. He was found guilty and sentenced to 25 years to life but he died in prison on October 18, 2014 from a brain can- brain tumor due to cancer. Kwabe was also sentenced to life in prison. It's now believed that Kwabe might have been the real shooter. After his arrest, Kwabe told the police that he had gotten rid of some yellow leather gloves. Shrin told the police about these said gloves. The gloves were tested for gunshot residue after they were found and it came back as positive. Now we will get into the case against Shrin Dewani. Ani said that they... Ani's family said that they try to think of all the good things about Ani every day, but that sometimes it's spoiled by the case. Under the South African court system, they didn't have to prove why he had Ani Ani killed, but the compelling case had to be explained. Shren pleaded not guilty to all five counts, which were conspiracy to commit kidnapping, robbery with aggravating circumstances, murder, kidnapping, and obstructing the administration of justice. Shrin and his defense now had to explain why he pleaded not guilty. The number one focus was obviously about Shrin's sexuality. And now the clips I'm about to play are all reenacted.
1: lady, we have prepared a detailed plea explanation and I beg leave to read that out on behalf of the accused. I consider myself to be bisexual. I've had sexual interactions with both males and females. My sexual interactions with males were mostly physical experiences with people I met online or in clubs, including prostitutes.
0: Shouldn't admit admitted to being bisexual, which many said was a clever move by the defense. The prosecution had evidence that this was false. In the initial stage
1: of the investigation, we found out the that Shrin joined Gaydar under the pseudonym Asian sub Guy. Do you want self identified as, as homosexual, as gay, when he, when he signed up on the profile?
0: Shrin had actually logged onto Gaydar on his honeymoon and just hours after Ani was killed. The login times were presented in court. Leo, the German master Leiser, was a key witness for the prosecution. They wanted him to say how Shrin had talked about his upcoming marriage to Ani, not necessarily about their sexual encounters. It was eventually ruled inadmissible.
1: Now, Mr. Lysa, Mr. Dewani was with you on three occasions between September 2009 and April 2010, and he slipped over at your home. Yes, he did. And Mr. Dewani paid for your services on the three occasions that the two of you were together. That is correct. M'lady, with all due respect, really, what is the relevance of this? Yes, I was wondering what the relevance of this was. M'lady, the witness is going to be testifying about the conversation that he had with Mr. Dewani of a personal nature, establishing motive on the part of the accused. It is not in dispute that the accused has had sex with Mr. Leister on three occasions, the last of which was more than six months before the accused and the deceased got married. It is therefore wholly irrelevant to the issues which are to be decided by this court. I am not going to allow the evidence.
0: The next focus in the trial was the money that Shrin had, paid, had used to pay Tongo. On the night of the murder, he had 10,000 10, rand, which is about $630.20 in USD. The prosecution asked why he would have that much. Shrin claimed it was for a helicopter ride that he wanted to set up for Annie. He had asked Tongo about the cost of it. It was the first time anyone had heard about Shrin planning a helicopter ride for Ani. John Jonkers, who we heard from in the first episode, said he could have easily set up a helicopter ride for them from the hotel. Shrin also never mentioned it in his police interviews or his interviews with Nick Parker from The Sun. Shrin never mentioned any money when he spoke of items that the robbers had taken on the night of the murder. He spoke of the, about the contents of Annie's handbag because he had given her the money, but the money was never mentioned. On November 13th, 2014, the trial adjourned to mark the fourth anniversary of Annie's death. When the trial continued, Zola Tongo took the stand.
1: The next witness is Zola Tongo. Can you explain to the court What happened when you arrived at the hotel? I stopped at the hotel. The lady alighted. I remained behind with the husband. He said to me he had a job for me. I must just wait for him for a few minutes. What happened then? The gentleman came back. He got into the car. He said he wants somebody to be killed. He explained to me that he is going to pay an amount of 15,000 rand when the job is finished. Watching Tonga testify, he stuck to that version, meeting, the planning, the route they took, the golden thread was there.
0: On day 11, the defense cross-examined Tongo, and it was a blow to the prosecution's case.
1: Mr. Tongo, did he tell you on Friday that the job had to be done on Saturday? That is correct, my lady. And did you discuss where and how he was going to pay you? I don't remember us discussing that, my lady. But payment was important. Did you ask him, how are you going to pay me, when, and how? As I've already said, uh, I I can't remember us discussing that.
0: The more he talked, the more he contradicted his original story. On day 23 of trial, the defense applied to have the case thrown out. If the case was thrown out, Shrin wouldn't be able to be charged or tried again. He'd be a free man. Ani's family was nervous. It was like...
1: How can it be a trial about him? And he doesn't have to stand up and describe every second of what's happened. It would be a terrible development if we and the people of South Africa are not afforded the full story. I wanted to hear him say it. I wanted to see
0: it in him when he was saying it.
1: Tell the world I didn't do that. Tell the courts I didn't do it. Just tell us this is what happened.
0: The judge returned with her decision after two weeks of looking over both sides of the case. Shrin was found now guilty. She said Tonga was the only link and that she couldn't tell where the lies ended and the truth began. Ani's family was devastated.
1: just decided that there's no case and the case was closed it just felt like such a defeat
0: we waited patiently for four years to hear what really happened to our dearest little sister the knowledge of not ever knowing what happened that's gonna haunt me
1: my family my brother my parents for the rest of our lives
0: Ani's family was told over and over again that the police and prosecution were 100% confident that they could win this case. The police said that they were confident, but that sometimes cases go south. The state relied so much on Tongo and his testimony. Ani's family still has so many questions to this day. I'm going to go through now a where are they now sequence. Tongo is serving an 18-year prison sentence. Malambo was granted full immunity. Kwabe is serving a 25-year sentence, and he'll be eligible for parole in uh, 2027. Minjani passed away in prison from a brain tumor due to cancer. And Shrin, he is now in a relationship with a man named Gledison Lopez Martins, a Brazilian photographer. Ani's family is heartbroken. They said that Shrin has done nothing but disrespect them. They don't care that he's gay, but that he had gone back to Mumbai with his new boyfriend in the place where he once married Ani. They also still don't know the truth and wish he would just tell them what happened. It's hard to know for sure what did happen, but I believe Shrin was involved. Why else would Ani have ended up dead? Plus, the surveillance footage of Shrin handing Tongo the money is pretty suspect. Shrin claimed it was to pay him for taking them around, but couldn't he have done that in front of Ani or Ani's father? There are still a lot of questions. I'd love to know what you think. My book recommendation for this week is Dead Girls Can't Keep Secrets by Chelsea uh, Aichazo. Summary, an unreliable narrator, a camping trip, a girl in a coma, someone knows what happened to Piper Sullivan, but will they tell the truth? A shocking new wilderness thriller from the acclaimed author of Little Creeping Things. Piper Sullivan was in a strange hiking accident last month and has been in a coma ever since. Her older sister, Savannah, can't pretend to be optimistic about it. Things look bad. Piper will likely never wake up, and Savannah will never get any answers about what exactly happened. But then Savannah finds a note in Piper's locker, inviting Piper to a meeting of their school's wilderness club at the very place and on the very day that she fell, which means there was a chance that Piper wasn't alone. Someone might have seen something, worse, someone might have done something, but who would want to hurt the perfect Piper Sullivan and why? To discover the truth, Savannah joins a club on their weekend-long camping trip on the same mountain where her sister fell, but she better be careful. Everyone in the club is a suspect, and everyone seems to be keeping secrets about the tragic day, and Savannah, she's been keeping secrets too. I was excited to read this book just because of the book cover title and summary. It really caught my attention, and the book was just as good. This and the case that I talked about for the last two weeks were full of secrets, so it's a great tie-in. And in this book although the characters don't make good decisions throughout it was a full it was full of shocking revelations until the very end I give this book a 9 out of 10 I hope you enjoyed this case and again I'd love to know your thoughts Please subscribe to my blog follow me on Instagram buy me a coffee rate and review I'll be back next week with an all new case and book recommendation and remember it's crime o'clock somewhere